In just a few moments, I'm going to read you some words from Jesus himself. Do you realize how often we often think that life is performance? That if we just perform well enough, that our lives will be great. Think about your jobs. One of the quickest ways you can get fired is not performing, right? One of the ways that we most think that we can find promotions and so on and so forth is to outperform other people. When you think about what's going on this past week, how oftentimes do we think about our weeks or our weekends in terms of what we've done and how we've performed or not performed? There are even times that we think or at least operate as if our relationship with God is built around our performance or is maintained by our performance. When we live life that way, it is exhausting. It promotes pride. It promotes anxiety and nervousness and insecurity. When we gather for worship, we are being reminded of grace. We are being reminded of grace that our relationship with God is because of what Jesus has accomplished. And our ongoing walk with God is fueled by and empowered by what Jesus has done. Hear these words from the Savior and perhaps take them to heart afresh. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beloved, let's respond to this by coming to Jesus and praising him for who he is and what he's done. I'd love to look with you this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. So if you have a copy of God's Word, please feel free to turn there. The words are also in your bulletin and should be on the screen behind me. <clears throat> you might remember, I think I've said this every week so far this summer, uh, we are taking a break from the Gospel of John, but we are not taking a break from the theme that we're thinking about this whole year, which is life with Jesus. And so the first five months of the year, we've been looking at the Gospel of John together, and we took a break from that. And during the summer, we're thinking through the Sermon on the Mount, and this is telling us, continuing to tell us about what with life with Jesus looks like. This is the type of kingdom that he is desiring. This is the type of kingdom that he is building. These are the type of people that he is recreating. This is what he's actually doing in our lives and what he wants to do in us. So when you hear the Sermon on the Mount, uh, try to fight against our natural inclination to hear what Jesus says and thinks, oh, well, this is a checklist and this is how I get to be a good person. Uh, what Jesus does in this sermon is he's actually driving us to understand him more clearly in everything that he says. He's actually saying, this is what it means to put on me. This is nothing that you do apart from me. This is what it looks like to believe and have a living faith in me. So with that brief introduction, perhaps. Let's look at Matthew 6. I'll read the first four verses. Uh, remember, this is Jesus preaching to us. He is pastoring us. This comes straight from the heart of Jesus. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words. Thank you that you said them. Thank you that when we read them and hear them and think about them, we, we are literally understanding the way that you look at the world and the way you look at our lives. And what you think about how life works best. So would you continue, Father, Son, and Spirit, to work the good news, the message of Jesus into us. That you would help us to know more and more deeply that it is by grace that we are saved. And that it is by grace that we live. And we pray this for your glory. We pray this for your glory. Amen. I want to tell you a story about commitment. Uh, Danielle Morin is a graduate of ECU. I think she graduated in 2015. She swam at ECU. And in 2014, she received the Female Scholar Athlete of the Year Award. And when she was given that award, of course, there was a big presentation. Other athletes got other awards. But she came forward and received that award and gave a speech. And this is what she said. She said, I would love to thank my mom for never knowing the difference between a good swim and a bad swim. And I would love to thank my dad because every time before I would jump and launch out into the water, I would hear him say, you go, girl. It's a really short acceptance speech, right? And you might wonder, what in the world does that have to do with the passage in front of us? Well, I want you to make this connection because perhaps you heard it when we started reading the text. This, this section of Jesus' sermon, he is being very direct and very clear. Nothing that, uh, it's not that he hasn't been unclear before, but there's a new sense in which he is being direct and clear. This is even a warning. Did you catch it? Beware of, look at verse 1, dot, dot, dot. And sometimes it's hard to receive warnings. But what makes it easier to receive warnings? What makes the difference when someone warns us? What can make a difference is when you know that that someone is committed to you. Right? Would that all of us who are parents, would that our children would know that we are so committed to them, so when even we had to tell them difficult things, they could receive it from a standpoint of, of how much we are committed to them and how much we love them, right? Would that all of your bosses, would that you knew how much they were committed to you such that if they ever had to warn you, you could receive that knowing, well, I know that my boss cares about me. Wouldn't that be wonderful? 
Because my hunch is most of you have not received those kinds of warnings. Would that all of our friends, would that we would have a relationship with our friends such that we knew how committed they were to us and therefore whenever they had to warn us, we could actually receive it from a different vantage point and think, oh yeah, this is something that I really need to think about. You see, Jesus is more committed to us than we could ever imagine. And if you're here this morning and you don't know a thing about Christianity, you don't know anything about it all, or if you're exploring it or you're concerned about what does it actually mean to be a Christian, know this first. Jesus is committed to his people. And if you're here and you believe in Jesus and have entrusted yourself to him, remember afresh as we go through these words that Jesus is committed to you. He loves you. You see, this warning, this is what Jesus does. He warns us by telling us that we are all diseased. We're going to look at this morning as the disease and the antidote. Jesus warns us. He says that we are all diseased. Look at verses 1 and 2. You see these two phrases. The first one is in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Notice that? And if you look at the middle of verse 2, what you'll find is this, that they may be praised by others. See, here's the disease that all of us have. This is what Jesus is warning us against. We live for the praise of man. We all have this disease that shows itself with the reality that we want to live for man's approval. We want to do things just so people will approve of us, just so people will like us. This is why we struggle so much to say no. Any of you struggle with saying no? Sometimes it's because we want people's approval. We want others to like us. It's why we're always obsessing and always thinking about, well, what do others think? What does this person think? What does that person think? And this goes hand in hand with our achievement culture. We live in and we are part of a culture in which we always want to achieve. Because the more we achieve, the more we think we will be liked. The more that we do, the more respect that we will get. Which means that oftentimes, a lot of our lives is just about getting other people's approval. They're being scared to death if they don't approve of us. And Jesus paints this picture for us in verse two. He paints a picture before us of this. It's it's someone who's giving. And it's almost comic-like. Now, I've done some research in the first century and tried to find out if Jesus was referring to anything specific and I couldn't find it. So maybe it's out there and I just don't know. And hopefully someday I'll find it if it's out there. But Jesus seems to be painting like a comic-like picture, an exaggerated picture, as if we can get into our minds, this is what it's like. Someone is going to give, and what they do is they hire someone to play a trumpet. And that person plays a trumpet in front of them, as if they make their own parade. So here they are planning to give, and the person in front of them is blowing this trumpet, announcing for everyone to hear, hey, look, here he comes. This is the guy that's going to give. Now, the reason why I say I wasn't able to find anything in the first century that this is specifically tied to an event or a law or something is because of this. Jesus seems to paint this picture because it is 
crazy for us to think about ever doing that, right? In other words, I don't know any Pharisee or scribe in the first century that literally paid people to play the trumpet as they were going forward to give something, all right? Jesus is really talking about our hearts. He's showing us what is actually going on the inside when we do things. It's as if we think to ourselves, well, I'm going to do this and everybody should see it. I am going to that and I want, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I want everybody to know how great I am and how special I am. Look at me and what I'm doing. All because we want to be seen. All because we want people to praise us. Sound familiar? Think back through the decisions that you have made. Think back through the things that you've done in your life. How many of them were done just so other people would think you are great? How many times have we done something just so people will praise us? In other words, maybe we can think about it this way. How many things have we done in which there are strings attached? So if somebody doesn't recognize that what we've done and praise us, if somebody doesn't acknowledge what we have done, we feel as though we have been deeply offended because you see in the first place we just did things so that others would recognize and praise us that's what Jesus is getting at here he's painting this picture for us to think about it and what's interesting is that we can never make ourselves happy through the approval of others we can't do it it's a lie it's a lie that our culture feeds us. It's a lie that we promote. It's a lie that we want to believe. That we can just make ourselves happy. And we can do the right things and get the right approval from the right people. And then we will feel accomplished. Then we'll feel like we mean something. Then we'll feel like we're important. And Jesus is saying, oh, it's a lie. It's a lie. Doing things for others to praise us is actually death. It's actually a message of death. Because no matter what we do, no matter how much we do it, other people's approval, other people's praise will never be enough. And not only do we struggle with living for the praise of living for the praise of men, there's something else. We also live in a culture that loves displays, don't we? People love it when things are done big, right? We love big displays of things. We're, for whatever reason, attracted to that. For whatever reason, we find that significant. And we're also easily deceived by outward appearance. As if if we see something that looks good or we see someone that looks good or they present well, we have a tendency to think, well, they're, they're good. Maybe this is why you hear so many phrases. This is why we hear this phrase so many times. Good, clean living. Must be doing something, right? Hear that all the time. And even to go deeper, we are so easily deceived by pride and arrogance. 
someone presents as confident and know what they're doing, and they've got it all figured out, we think, this is who I should be. This is what I want. And we really forget how much all of us are all messed up on the inside. Jesus even names this disease. Look at verse 2. Jesus names the disease of living for other people's approval. He says it's hypocritical. Want to be a hypocrite? This is it. This is what it looks like. This is what it is. Now, in the first century, a hypocrite was really a term that described an actor. And what the actor would do is they would put on a particular mask and then perform for the particular presentation. They would put on the mask to take on a different character, but behind that character is who they were, but they were pretending to be something else. In other words, you appear to be one thing, but actually something different. To work it out, you can think of it this way. Jesus is saying that there are some that think that they are an actor on the stage of the world, And they put on a big show for everyone to see, but deep down, that's not who they really are at all. They're living for the praise of men, doing things to be seen. And this may not be what you're expecting at all when you think about this, but allow me to press on this for a little bit. As much as we might not like this idea of hypocrite, As much as this word might rub us the wrong way and frustrate us, it seems to me that people feel more and more like they have to act a certain way even though they know in their hearts it's not true. It seems to me more and more That people feel like they have to act a certain way, even though it's not true. That's why I think it's getting harder and harder and taking longer and longer to get to know people. Because they feel like they always have to be fake. And they feel pressure to not be honest and truthful. Seems like it's taking longer and longer to get to know people. Before the walls will come down. People live dishonest lives either because they're trying to perform and they're just trying to achieve, trying to get particular praise, trying to get approval. It's the whole fake it till you make it way of living life. Seems like more and more of us try that. Or we've just learned over a long period of time how to be dishonest. And not sincere and not truthful. And I realize this is really hard to say, and it's really hard to hear, and it's really hard to think about. Because to add another layer to this, I know that it is very common for people to grow up in the church and think that Jesus did enough to get you in, but now you have to perform in order to keep the relationship going. And so it's almost like in the church, we have created this presentation of Christianity as if Jesus did a little bit, and now you gotta keep that going. So you gotta fake, 
And you got to not be real, dishonest. And deep down, people are dying inside. But they've learned wrongly. This is the way we're supposed to live. This is the way we're supposed to pretend. This is the way we're supposed to follow God. Because I've got to keep putting this face on. Because if I don't, I'm in danger of losing this relationship with God. It's so hard to think about this. You see, remember, Jesus throughout this entire sermon is exposing the counterfeit. It often looks the same, but it's not real. It often looks the same, but it's not real. You see, to to take one of Jesus' images before we look at this one, it'd be real easy if, remember, Jesus used the image of a tree that produces fruit. And he says, some fruit is bad and some fruit is good, right? Well, here's the thing. It's not as though there's a tree and one is producing fruit and there's another tree and it's not producing any fruit. Both are producing fruit. Look at what Jesus says here. When you give, he is assuming that everyone is giving. He's not saying these people give and these people don't. He's saying when you give, don't give from a heart that is actually corrupt. Don't give from a heart that's just out to serve self. He's saying it's counterfeit. And it's so hard to identify because it looks so good. And it's not. It's bankrupt. It's empty. It's not real. Look at the next section. If you have a Bible, you can see it. You know, he talks about giving, he talks about praying, and then he talks about fasting. He's talking about a people that give. He's talking about a people that pray. He's talking about a people that fast. His assumption is that all of us are doing that. And yet he says, this isn't good. He's going inside of us. He's going to the heart of who we are. And he's exposing that. He's saying if you give because you want praise of men, if you do things because you want to be noticed, that means inside, bankrupt. Now remember, as we said several times, and I know I need to keep saying this because it's true, if you are wondering and worried about whether or not this counterfeit is you, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, well, this, is, this may be me, and yet you are continuing To take all that you are to Jesus, your good things and your bad things, your giving and all of your disobedience, if you continue to take everything to Jesus, this is not you. The counterfeit is not you. If Jesus' teaching continue to drive you outside of yourself to him, So that constantly and incessantly you're taking all that you are to Christ. The counterfeit is not you. But if you hear this and you think, well, this is not me. No, immediately, immediately, no, this is not me. I've never done this. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that at all. You're in danger. Real danger. Jesus is saying you might be counterfeit. If you think this is impossible for you, that you're better than this, you're the exact person that Jesus is intending this for. 
Because maybe for the first time in your life, you might hear this and think, oh, I need to be freed from being dishonest, and I need to know that I can be honest. And Jesus is saying, you can. You should. If you follow me, you will. You see, Jesus also tells us the result of all this. Two times in this section. Look at what he says. You will get what you're looking for. And that's it. Look at the end of verse 1. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Truly I say to you at the end of verse 2, they have their reward. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. If you want to live your life for the praise of men, you probably will find it. You'll probably get it. You'll probably be able to surround yourself with people who just agree with you, who just think you're fantastic. And if you surround yourself with them, that's all you got. If you're doing everything so that people will acknowledge you and recognize you and praise you, that's it. Period. There's nothing else for you. If that's the way you want to live your life, that's it. So if you have found a lot of people to approve of who you are and respect all that you are and no one else is around you, that's all you got. That's it. You will receive nothing from your Father, nothing from God. In other words, what Jesus is saying is really this. If I do, if you do, if we do everything ultimately for self, then we really never gave anything. What we did is we tried to purchase everything. If we live our lives just for self, then all we've been doing is that we have never really given anything we have tried to purchase approval. We have tried to purchase satisfaction and meaning and hope. And all we've ever done is use people to promote self. I know that's really heavy. So we need to, I need to say what Jesus wants he wants us to live our lives for God, not for self. He wants us to do everything without strings attached. He doesn't want us to use people for self. He wants us to be generous, to be generous. He wants us to love people, to love people. He wants us to live honest lives, to be honest people. A number of years ago, I watched this award show I didn't go back and look which one it was, and it doesn't matter. This musical artist, Sting, you ever heard of this guy, Sting? Any of you love 80s music? Yeah, I think he was big in the 80s. I'm not a huge Sting fan, but I respect him because I know he can play dozens of instruments. He's a prolific writer. You all probably know a lot more about Sting than I do, but he, he is world-renowned as an amazing songwriter, and knows that he can pick up anything and play it. He received a Lifetime Achievement Award, standing ovation, everyone standing up. And he came on stage and he held up his hand, five words, music 
is its own reward. And he walked off the stage. Do you know what he's telling us? What he was saying is, I would continue to play music if none of you cared. I would do it for the love of music. I would do it because I love to play instruments. I love to learn. I love to create. That's it. Beloved, that is a positive example of what God wants from us. He wants us to love others and be generous and be honest. Because we want to love others, be generous and be honest. What enables us to admit that we are hypocrites and what enables us to admit that we don't want to live that way, there is only one antidote to all of this. There's only one antidote to being a hypocrite. And there's only one antidote that can get us outside of being a hypocrite. Only one. And it's this. Acceptance-based performance. That's it. Acceptance-based performance. I told you a story a while ago that I need to re-say. Old football coach at Wake Forest was asked one time, how in the world do you get your guys to play so hard? How do you get them to compete at such a high level? How do you do that? And he said, you know, he had been coaching for a number of years. He said, I realized that for a long, long time, I had performance-based acceptance. And what that meant was, is when my guys were on the field, they were always worried and always nervous because they were always thinking about what they were doing because they knew if they messed up, then they would think that I didn't care about them and I didn't like them. And he said, I realized that I had to get rid of performance-based acceptance. I had to get rid of the idea that if they performed a certain way, then I would accept them. Or if they didn't perform a certain way, then I would reject them. I had to get rid of that. And I had to operate my program and relate to my players through acceptance-based performance, which meant I had to convince all of my players that I really cared about them no matter what, that I cared about them as human beings, that I actually loved them for who they were. And what that meant was, and what I noticed, is that when they were on the field, they would give me everything they had because they knew I accepted them, because they knew I cared for them. Because they knew I loved them and I wanted what was best for them. You see, beloved, this is exactly what the gospel brings into your life and my life. This is exactly what it means to be connected to Jesus and to give our lives to him again and again and again. This is what Jesus did for you and for me and for us. He lived and died and rose from the dead so that we would be accepted with God. That's what he did. And therefore, when we live our lives of obeying and following and trusting and loving and giving and praying and fasting, that it would show that we've been accepted. It would illustrate that God has accepted us. We would never do it because we're trying to keep his favor or earn his favor. You see, the only way to actually become godly, 
the only way to actually become Christ-like and not just appear to be that way is to get into Jesus. Is to get into Jesus and to have what he has done for you and for me to permeate everything about our lives. Everything. This is why in these 17 verses, and I know we just looked at the first four today, this is why if you will go back and read those verses, what you will find is 10 times Jesus refers to God as your father. 10 times in these verses. Yes, he's giving us a warning. Yes, he's being clear. And he's doing it because he's committed to us. And he wants us to understand that the only way you get God as father is through a relationship. And the only way that you have a relationship with God, with the Father, the only way he becomes your Father is through Jesus. And beloved, if you want application, if nothing has applied to your life so far, we have to connect every decision every single day. The decisions at our work, the decisions with our family, everything we do to Jesus. Everything. And that we are accepted before God because of Christ. Otherwise, we're just going to be hypocrites. Otherwise, we'll just find ourselves living to get more approval or acceptance. Or so that others will re- see what we're doing. I want to tell you a story about a recent graduate from ECU. Her name is Danielle Morin. She graduated in 2015. In 2014, she received the Female Scholar Athlete of the Year Award. Everybody was excited that she got this award, and she got up to give her a little acceptance speech, and this is what she said. Thanks, Mom, that you don't know the difference between a good swim and a bad swim. Thanks, Dad, for always yelling right before I go into the water. You go, girl. Because I always hear it. I always listen for it. And even when you're not there, it's in my mind. And it always tells me that you will love me whether I win or lose. Beloved, that is what you have in Jesus. And may you always hear it. And may you always listen for it. And even when you feel like God is far away from you, may you repeat it to yourself over and over that Christ died for me, that he rose from the dead for me. And may you do everything this week. Everything. Everything. Knowing that God loves you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. And that you would even dare to challenge us and warn us. We thank you because that is an evidence of your love and grace. So would you help us this week to fight against hypocrisy? Would you help us this week to not want to be a hypocrite? Would you identify things in our lives in which we have attached so many strings Would you identify things in our lives in which we are doing them just to get the praise of others? And would you help us to connect what you have done, the acceptance that we have with the Father, 
Would you help us to hear that message over and over and over? We pray this for your glory in our lives. Amen. So receive this blessing from your God, knowing that this has been bought by the blood of Christ. And try to live as if you actually believe it's true. The Lord your God is going to bless you. And he is also going to keep you. This week his smile is upon you and he is going to be gracious to you. Today, tomorrow, forever and ever, his presence will be with you. Like he will literally be with you. And one day he will bring you his peace. He'll make you whole. It's all true because of Christ. Amen. Go in his peace.